Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Hi, good afternoon, everyone, and good morning to my to to me and to Quick to Jane. Um, this is this is exciting. We have the author of The Bride War White. But before I start, let me give you a little taste of it. Can you read someone's thought just by hearing them speak? Can you discern from their hands or eyes or even the slightest inflection in their voice that you're in danger? Mm. Welcome to Book Talk with Fran Lewis, brought to you by MJ Network. And meet psychic consultant Prudence Ryland, and then maybe we'll learn more. So welcome back to MJ Network. I'm so excited. This book was outrageously great. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. That's my goal. Yep. I can't imagine who wouldn't. Now, the fun <laughs> part is is the topic. Neither can I. Neither can I. Let's let's just put that out there. Everybody's put <laughs> I mean, seriously, and when I get done, I, I put your review out this morning, and everybody's reading it. I don't know why. I, I just... <laughs> As a matter of fact, I had an offer for a review yesterday, and I said to the author, how did you find me? Because I researched you on the yellow book of of book reviews. I said, well, that's a new one for me. I didn't know. That's okay. So I haven't heard of it either. It is new. I I must be there somewhere. (laughs) So tell us about lucid dreams as opposed to psychic dreams, and how did you create that in your novels? Because that's, that's really interesting, especially psychic dreams and how they work. Well, the thing about lucid dreaming that is so interesting is that if you fall into a lucid dream, you know you're there. You know you're dreaming, mm. and to some extent, you can direct, you can write the script. You can write mm. the script. And people do this occasionally. It's not something most of us do all the time. Some people um, do it more regularly than others. Most of us have had maybe one or two experiences of it, and it's not always pleasant because you're kind of caught in that, in the middle between mm. waking up and being asleep, and it's a very, it can be a very disturbing experience, actually. Um, and yet there are people online who are offering to teach you how to do it. I don't know if it's something you can learn or not. I think it just happens. But for the sake of my stories, mm. I make sure that it's more... Um, that the psychic has control over it, and that's part of her talents and abilities. But the lucid dream thing is has been of interest for basically a few hundred years. In, in the 20th century, it got a lot of attention from scientists and researchers trying to figure out what it meant, how it worked, could you control it, could you use it. Um, in the early 20th, 20th century, which mm-hmm. is when this book is set, the 1930s, um, some very serious researchers like Jung and Freud and others were investigating 
dreaming as a way to treat into the psych into the into the psychology of a person and a way to perhaps to treat neurosis and anxiety and other forms of you know anxious nerves and dreams looked like a way in so there was a there were a lot of frauds <laughs> frauds and great practitioners out there and of course that our hero's first thought when he meets Prudence is that she's just another fraud. She's really interesting, let me tell you. And she has fantastic instincts. So we have Prudence Ryland, and she's the star of Madame Arietta. And had, the scene with Thomas gave me the gave me the chills. How did she realize <laughs> that something wasn't right? Well, in the scene, she is actually using a crystal bowl, and my my story, my my feeling about crystal is that it would, if there is such a thing as psychic energy, crystal would be a good conductor, mm. and so that's how she uses it. Every everyone who kind of goes off into the woo woo thing, which is what I'm doing with this book, has to write their own set of rules. For the world they're creating, and mm. one of the rules one of the world rules in my world is that psychics can psychics with real talent, not the frauds, but with real talent, can use the crystal to um, to read others' dreams, basically. Which they just opened it, something like that here. Like I, I I wouldn't even think to go when they have psychic dreams, lucid dreams. They have a whole bunch here on the, on the corner where I live. They just opened oh. up someplace like that. Yeah, out of it was used to be a jewelry store, high-end jewelry store. <laughs> now, yeah, uh-huh. I was like the other day, I go like, where did that come from? Psychic dreams, challenge, all sorts of different ways to get your mind read. And I don't know, I haven't seen anybody go in there, but I guess they've been there for a while. <laughs> so it's gonna be interesting. You must, you so must ha- go in there and give us a re- give us a report. Yeah, it's oh gosh. I'm curious to see if anybody walks in there. I'm going to find out what they what they what happened, because you don't know if these people are real or just there. So how I, I think this... I think it, I think it'd be wise to conclude they're probably just not not there. They need to yeah, believe what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> I would. I think on this the side of skepticism. I I don't trust anything like that. The other day, some lady looked at me and said, "You will be fine." I go, "If you say so." <laughs> like who are you? I mean, really. So well, I think the reason. I think the reason my version of psychic uh, psychic stories works is because I don't do the supernatural. I'm not writing werewolves yeah. or witches or vampires. I am doing the psychic vibe, and I think that works for a lot of readers because it's really just one step mm. beyond intuition. And everybody believes in intuition. They may not think, think they have good or bad intuition, but they kind of don't argue about it. They think intuition exists. And in my stories, all I'm doing is asking the reader to go one step beyond intuition. And I think a lot of people can do that. And that's why, um, uh, that's why I specify that I'm not doing the witches and vampires as a supernatural thing, which is a whole other kind of paranormal I've read too many of those recently, too, and that's all I'll say about that. I know I've been one that I'm too perceptive. I mean, my grandmother would look mm-hmm. at somebody and she would say, I don't like them. And she yeah. would look at me and says, yeah, she was really good, too, because I got to realize that. 
it's really bad because <laughs> either I like you or I don't. I could tell in 10 seconds it's bad. So how does this reading force her to move, and then she takes a job, my favorite place, that I don't have to go to anymore because I get the books, the library. And what exactly <laughs> did she research? Well, she goes to, she takes a new job. What, what happens at the beginning of the story, it's not giving away too yeah. much to say that yeah. uh, her client her client drops dead, and uh, she figures that's probably the end for her business. So she hops the train, this is in the 1930s, hops the train from San Francisco to Southern California. And mm. in Southern California, she wants to start over. She wants a whole new look, a whole new career, a whole new life. And so she goes to work in a library that specializes in um, the paranormal. It's at a, uh, the other thing that's going on in the uh, in the United States at this time, and also in, in uh, the UK, was that paranormal research was being conducted at universities, major mm. universities, because it was taken that seriously. And the military saw it as a potential way to, you know, use spies, and ordinary people saw it as a way to, you know, have another another view of life and everything and, and see another side of the world. And it was just a big thing, and the universities devoted money and time and research to it. So in my book, that's what she does, is she goes to work for a college library that has a department of the paranormal. And that's where trouble finds her again because the disaster in San Francisco follows mm. her into Southern California. And it finds her in, in serious trouble. I had only one I had a professor in college. I'm trying to remember what subject it was for. It wasn't philosophy or anything, where the, where the um, professor said she asked questions and she wanted to see if we could predict the answers without having to look at anything. And she had cards and all sorts of stuff. And I was like, and then she looked at me and said, you really are good. I go, well, I'm just guessing. She, it was like a deck of cards, and we were supposed to guess which numbers came. And, uh-huh. you know, yeah. after, after a while, when the same numbers come out, you figure it's going to eventually come out again. I said, oh, you have ESP. I said, no, I don't. I said, just good guessing. I don't think so. I was cracking <laughs> up. You just don't know. So she's in the yeah. stacks, and then she wakes up, and I go like, What? And that's sort of the title of the book. And who's the victim? That's like, oh, my God. Just that alone, I'm surprised she didn't get a heart attack. (laughs) She wakes up in bed in the bridal suite of a major downtown hotel, and she's wearing a wedding gown, and it's stained with blood. And the guy on the bed next to her is dead. So now she's got a bit of a track record, and she's getting very – she knows some of the – is after her, and so she goes looking for help because she needs mm. professional professional assistance. This isn't something most people would know how to handle. Trying to find a a killer before he strikes, and so she calls the one person who might be able to both believe her and help her, and that's Luther Pell in Burning Cove, California. Mm-hmm. And Luther hooks her up with a. Uh, with an investigator, and, the, and that's where the story really takes off as they, as they launch well, into trying to guy. find a killer. <laughs> she, she, she was brave. Now, 
Um, I read this, and I was like, okay. She had, how does she learn psychic readings and how to interpret them? And her grandmother taught her how to do it, right? Right. Grandmother. Right, family trait. Family trait. But then I said, like, how do you know if this person is really telling you the truth or you just, they're so good that you believe them, what they're saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what's really cool yeah. about it. So what, how, how do you know, how does she know how to interpret a dream? Or is it just her interpretation of the dream? Well, she admits at some point in the book, I think, that it is her interpretation, but she's pretty yeah. sure she's right because her intuition mm-hmm. leans in that direction. She just has a, a sense of intuition that tells her how to interpret the dream. It's, that's her psychic talent. Well, then we have Clara Dover, and she comes to a reading. This was too much. How does they convince her that her son sent a message from beyond? <laughs> That's called gaslighting. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> That's, when, <laughs> That's when someone sets you up to believe in the impossible, and mm-hmm. the, she falls for it. The, the Clara Dover person falls for it. Um, I drew on a lot of elements of the classic Gothic novel for this book. Mm-hmm. I like working with Gothic elements. And the, the three basic Gothic elements are, um, I, I think the primary one is that the danger comes from within the house or within the family, not from outside. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it comes from within a family. And the other elements that are that work with the glass, with the classic gothic novel are isolation and our heroine and our hero are kind of trapped in this weird house out on the coast isolated location and the third element is a hint of the a hint of the supernatural or the haunting or something that takes it into that other realm um, where we can say can I believe what I see should I believe Mm. what I see the character questions her own beliefs and that is those three elements I think make up the gothic and I love working with those elements this this is like you you don't know what sometimes you don't know what to believe and what to believe but then Clara had her own mind yeah. and she believed whatever she thought so this yeah. was really she, prudence she wanted prudence to marry this person right she thought she was perfect for whatever reason so what was her rationale when she already had Rollins? And he was an experience she, too. She thought of her eldest son as the golden boy in the family. And yeah. That's who she favored. She just favored that older son. And that's that was my sister who fit, my mother who favored. We're trying to figure out where I fit in. Yeah. <laughs> My my sister always said, you know, somehow you don't look like me. I go, I know. What can I say? (laughs) So who is Rollins and his wife? I don't know. There was a question mark about her. And like you said, Rollins, he tries, but no matter what he does, he can't be the favorite son. There's always one for some reason that stands out above them all. Of course, that's not fair. Yeah, it's it's often the firstborn. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, but in this case, it's, it's, there's just a lot of family drama, and it's a family that is mm. kind of ripped apart from within. 
that was my whole goal was to show that the, the destructive forces are within the family. That's sad. My brother was born years later, and he became the golden person. Still is. <laughs> and then there's me. So, Clara, Clara's doctor, there's a question mark. Why do we wonder about him, and yet she's paying him all this money? Why? Does she really she believe everything her? he says? She does. Yeah. yeah. She's gullible. Yeah. She's gullible because her eldest son, who just died, is her weak point. So she's yeah. willing to believe anything. Because we yeah. all have a weak point. There are people like that. Yeah, we all have a weak point. I try to not do that, and I tell somebody, if I make a mistake, don't tell me, because I don't think I want to know. Anyway, <laughs> can't be perfect. So, the other thing, that, tell us about Ella. Who is Ella? She's the wife of... She's the wife the of second, Rollins, right? This, yeah, the second son, yeah. And um, she's just trying desperately to please a mother-in-law who cannot be pleased mm, with Don't bother. Clara. <laughs> yeah. And she's, uh, that's what her husband tells her, don't even try. Can't be yeah, done. Don't, don't bother. I, what can I say? <laughs> so Clara is rich. And rich people use their money to their advantage. So how does she do that? Because she could get whatever she wants. It doesn't matter. Just pay a million dollars and doesn't care. How does she get what she wants? Because she uses money. And too many rich people do do that. Well, it's a power. It gives you power. No question about it. And she's also unique in that society at that time because she's a self-made woman. Um, In the 1930s, there were not a lot of heads of corporations and business, large businesses mm. that were for sure. A couple in the cosmetic industry, but not mm. in general. So she's got a lot of power that she has basically acquired with her own smarts and her own uh, her own intelligence and her own hard work, and it doesn't turn her into a nice person. She's not anybody that you like, that's for sure. But yet, prudence doesn't stop her from coming. Well, money is money. So this was amazing. The guy, he's dead, son number one. So why is she accused of the murder? And tell us about Jake. I like him. Well, the murder, she's set up for the murder when she's in bed with the dead guy. Yeah, she she is, yeah. Yeah. so the clues are are scattered around to make her look guilty. Um, Jake is the investigator that Luther Pell assigns to deal with the problem. And Jake is recovering from his own disaster on an earlier case in which he was badly scarred in a fire. Mm. And he's sort of become a recluse in the world. He doesn't go out into the world because he's tired of trying to, you know, deal with the stairs and the comments and things. And he is drawn out of his seclusion, I guess you would say, by the need to find the killer. That brings him out in a way that he had not been able to do before. 
So it gets him out into the world for better or for worse, and he's not sure he likes it out there. Why does she trust him? I mean, it's all almost instantly that she does trust him. And you just get a feeling like he's he's there for a reason, that he's not going to hurt her. And yet she moves in with him. That's amazing. Well, partly because Luther Pell has approved him. She does trust yeah. Luther Pell. And he's basically assigned Jake as his as her bodyguard. So you, you don't know your bodyguard when you, when you hire one. There are times I think a lot of people need them, but then you don't know who you could trust either. Now, this no. is interesting. I, I watch all the crime programs. I've got them memorized. My favorite is called Justice with Kate, Kelly Ziegler because she's got the crime boards and all the rest of that stuff up there. And then there's murder, accident, suicide. I watch all of them. And I, then I just <laughs> pray to God that I can figure out who did it. And I'm pretty good. So tell us uh-huh. about Burning Cole, but what is his crime tree? That was really fascinating. How did you come up with that? That's outrageous. <laughs> it, it isn't really. What it is is what we would call a profile, criminal uh-huh. profiling ability. But it, what I discovered when I went did the research, that they did not use that term in the 1930s. They didn't have, in fact, the whole mm-hmm. concept of profiling bad mm-hmm. guys was was not out there. It didn't happen until a decade or two later as people started talking about it. Um, so I had him essentially trying to create something ahead of its time. And I needed other words for it, so I called it a crime tree because, uh, because the word profile didn't have that meaning back in those days. So mm. it's, it's kind of a lesson to authors in general about writing about a subject that, for which that era has no word yet. <laughs> I ran into the same problem in an earlier book when mm. I was trying to describe radar, which was just being invented at the time in the 30s, shortly before World War II. <laughs> and Radar, which is an you know an acronym, didn't exist until the 40s, and so I was constantly trying to find a way to refer to the radar technology without using the word radar. It, it, it's a lesson for us. <laughs> yeah, I just finished reading a book called The Covert Cairo. It was an interesting character that was a little flaky, but it was when microscopes were invented. Because they didn't have uh. DNA testing or forensics, so she was able to sort of take something from the coffin or the grave and you know, analyze it on the microscope that nobody knew this girl had. They didn't realize what she uh-huh. could do. So that that's uh-huh. interesting. So here's Clara again. Hmm. She's very close to her maid. And why does she tell about her reading and her son's message? Why does she trust her? Hmm. Well, she and the maid are bonded by an experience that happened years before, or at least she thinks they're bonded. And that relationship mm. is, is between uh, between Clara and her maid is uh, one of the mysteries of the book. Is why mm. are they close? Well, I can't tell you why, but that's interesting. Yep. Now, how and why did you tell Clara to predict something about prudence? How does she come up with that? I'm not going to say what. There's a message. So how how does she figure out what's going to happen to Prudence? She thinks she's dreamed it. Oh, so it's one of her psychic lucid dreams. <laughs> yeah, she, she's had a dream in which that, or what she thinks is a dream, and that's where she came up with it. 
But actually, again, she doesn't uh-uh. really know. She she really is paranoid, psychotically something. She's definitely yeah, not normal, Clara. Nope, not anymore. The death of her son did her in. She could be analyzed well, be by bad. Freud, probably. <laughs> <laughs> by somebody. Then what happens when the fire comes true? Do they think that Clara said it? Yeah. Yeah, she's the first suspect. I could imagine. So how does Jack help Prudence? Where do they go, and how how do they proceed in order to find out who killed the first son? Well, there's, you know, I don't want to give away too much no. of the plot, but basically his job is as an investigator, and his talent is criminal profiling, which is a kind of a psychic approach to crime solving when you think about it, because you're basically trying to create a profile of a person or a killer without knowing who it is. And that's that kind of crosses the border there in terms of, from a storyteller's point of view, it's easy to make a professional criminal profiler a psychic who works well in a book. Not in real life, but in book. <laughs> That's scary. Well, there are people that are profilers. I know that. And oh, some yeah, of them, yeah, yeah. Some of them really know what they're doing, and some of them really have no clue what they're doing. I often wonder, but don't don't they need they need some kind of training or something in order to be able to read somebody's mind, right? If you if you watch, well, I just read a Serial K. He sent it to me. I didn't know he was sending it. But Brian Gallagher and this pro- the profile there is really good, and she does come up with some unbelievable thoughts about who could have done whatever. So how do they get trained to know how to do this? How do you tell? Well, that's a professional course that you take. It, it, mm-hmm. You know, it's not mm-hmm. something. Um, it's, I wouldn't recommend doing it by correspondence. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are uh, academies, you know, that teach that kind of thing. The FBI has a huge criminal profiling, behavioral profiling department. Um, so it's a legitimate field, and it's done with actual evidence. It's not done with the psychic's talent. Um, but it can look, it can look from from the outside in. I think it could look like a psychic talent. At least that's what I'm using for the story. I couldn't put this down. I could, I could tell you, as a, an administrator of a school, we really needs to take this profile before they accuse people of doing the wrong thing. It might teach them a little bit of a lesson on how not to accuse a teacher of doing something wrong or a student of doing something wrong if they really don't know. Sometimes they just say, well, he did it. So maybe they need a little training for that, too. I begin to wonder. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. So um, Clara needs a reality check. And someone doesn't want her there anymore. And she she doesn't even see it coming, does she? Poor Clara. She's in a fog. Yeah, she's totally obsessed with uh, punishing our heroine, who she thinks murdered her son. That, that's that really her, sad. Yeah, so the obsession did, is what takes, takes over her life. Well, she's like chronically things. She can't get over this. It's like there's nothing else in her life that's trying to do this. So what does Rollins do in the company? What is his post? I mean, he doesn't do nothing. He is actually valuable, but she doesn't appreciate him. Exactly. Number two, son. Doesn't get any respect. <laughs> 
He's, but he's holding the company together. He's the one that's holding it together. And nobody says that. Nobody comes to his defense. Poor Rollins. What can you do? So this, <laughs> this was really good because I have a niece that thinks she has this too, and I really worry about her. You know, delusion is great. But what do you, why does she think she has paranormal qualities, Clara? She thinks that she could actually see things that nobody sees, sort of. Well, we don't really know if she does or not. She thinks yeah, she does. Yeah, I know. And so she takes her dreams seriously, and she takes she takes psychics seriously. So when she's looking for answers, she goes to a psychic, and the psychics tell her what she wants to hear, which is makes her think she's psychic herself. So do they actually do that? Are there other psychics that actually do that? Want to make you believe that you can do that? I begin to wonder. That's why I would never go to one because you know what? I don't believe anything anybody says anyway. My father no, told me. Most of them are. Yeah, I don't know. Do they lie a lot? Well, I think they just take what they pick up the clues that tell you that tell them what you want to hear, and they give you that and. If you want to speak to the dead, they make it possible to speak to the dead. But that's all in your mind. You know what I mean? It's not for real. Yeah. But but you could make somebody who wants to believe that believe it pretty easily, I imagine. Well, I, I would imagine when they walk in, because I've read too many books like this, that they walk in and go, oh, we know you have three daughters or whatever. There's Google people. They can look you up. And then there's, exactly. I, I learned that the hard way, been verified and truth finder and all that. And you look, you can look yourself up and find out that you're there. And I'm trying to figure out how to get myself not there because there's a lot of yeah. stuff that they put there that's not true. And that's dangerous. Yeah. It's even worse. So you don't want to believe this. So what yeah. happens? This was a cool scene. Clara goes to this spot and collides with Prudence. And what exactly, how did you create that? That was That was priceless. Seriously. <laughs> well, the spas were very popular in the 30s, just, well, just as they are today. You know, they've always been popular. Mm. And, uh, and they could be quite elegant. And in a town like Burning Cove, they were quite elegant. And uh, But it also makes a great setting for a showdown between two very strong women. And that's what I used it for. I thought it worked as a setting. That's too much. Yeah, everybody so, can sort of imagine. Now, the cool part is when you get Jack and Prudence and they assess each other's skills, how did you come up with that? Because she has her own skills and he's he's really brilliant. He's really good. I think I build a lot of my romantic relationships around two people who first mutually respect each other. They learn whether they like each other or not at first or whether there's kind of a sparks are flying or whatever. Um, but they come to an, a genuine uh, respect for each other's um, abilities and their strengths. And that's always the start of my relationship. Yes, there's mutual attraction, but that's not the dominant uh, force in, my, in the relationships that I like to do. I like to do relationships that build first on trust and respect and then underlying that comes the love. Well, we got the impression that the Dover family is not very popular and that for some reason 
If somebody could just eliminate them, they would take them all out. How come? I mean, besides Clara, who's horrible. Well, the family has a long history of um, causing trouble in high society in San Francisco, and uh, so they don't. Have, so they have a lot of acquaintances, but they don't have as many people they can trust because people don't trust them. Most people that are wealthy have to be careful, right? I mean, people yeah, that have a lot that's... of money, because they have to be really, really careful because you don't know if somebody's your friend just because you're rich or because you're a nice person or something. And, you know, I, know. I, I had the first thing I, I learned when I was growing up, I haven't grown up yet, I haven't decided when I decide to well, go up, seriously, is that somebody says to me, what do you do? What, should, what, do, what, what do you do in life? And uh, I just don't even answer them. I said, what exactly do you want to know? Um, are you an educator? What do you do? Do you have a lot of money? I said, that's none of your business. And I can't say it because people sometimes look at you and they just, they, they judge you by appearance. So Clara was judged by appearance and prudence in her own way. Why do the people judge you by your appearance or thinking if you have a lot of money, you're worth more as a person than anybody else? That's always bothered me. That bothers everyone, I think. That's it's 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 as you said. Trust, we all have trust issues, but I think it isn't mm-hmm. just the wealthy. We all have trust issues, and we all have to worry about who we can trust. It no matter how how wealthy or how poor you are, you mm-hmm. have to worry all the time about who you can trust. And we tend to take a lot of trust for granted, and that's if we get hurt or we get in trouble. It's often because we to the wrong person. Everybody does that at some time or another. That's what that's what Absolutely. that's what really I know, because um you, you go out with someone and you think they're you think they're wonderful and this is true and then their mother doesn't feel yet your parents are rich enough so they tell them get rid of the person because they're not rich enough to be in the same space as you when they don't know when they don't really know anybody's worth. It's scary. People judge yeah. people by their bank accounts or what they do or whatever. My dad was a dry cleaner, and he did very mm-hmm. well. But if you say somebody's a dry cleaner, it's not as if somebody's a lawyer. So what? I, 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 I don't I don't judge people by what they do. I just like how the person. So before I forget, and I don't want to forget, next uh, Tuesday, uh, Thunder Road by Colin Holmes. It's interesting. It's about 1947. And the first someone we low, low and love, James McCone, The Bastard Verdict. It's about the referendum on Scotland to get freedom from uh, Great Britain. On the fifth, Robert McCourt, Retribution, and this is going to be so fun. On the eighth, and I never do shows at, at, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, but the best interior designer in the whole universe is coming on, Howard Wiggins. So how can I say no? And Yeah, I mean, it's like, wow. And on the 13th, uh, Richard North Patterson is coming out with trial. I'm getting the first interview. And that's just some of June. And if anybody has anything coming out in September, October, November, December, tell me, because August is filled. It's gone. And if, <laughs> I, as, I, You know, I've been doing this for a while, and I looked at my schedule. I go, like, I don't even have a day to go anywhere except to do my hair on Saturday, of course. Uh, with with August and this next month too, it's like so much fun. My husband's happy because he keeps me out of the stores to buy clothes. <laughs> Seriously, 
You do have a so, lot on your plate there. That's gonna be that is gonna be quite the reading summer. I I know, and I don't do July. July I take off for for what personal reasons, but I, that's why I do them. Well, twelve o'clock is different for you because you're far away. But basically, I do them at you know nine or ten o'clock in the morning, and then I can go to the bakery for my bread or whatever. <laughs> I don't need much. <laughs> so there are several issues in this book. And you incorporated a ton of them. Revenge, blackmail, retribution, old-fashioned intuition, psychic sense intuition. And how did you incorporate them? And how does, um, she, how, does she, how does Prudence in, inter, interject with all of these? Because she's part of all of it, and so is Jack. Once the story gets started in my head, it just mm-hmm. kind of keeps evolving. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to explain how that process works, but it's just the way my mind works, I guess. But mostly, if you look at my stories, I think all of them, really, there are a couple of things in common with every story I've ever told. The first is that I always deal with issues of trust. I am mm-hmm. compelled to go back to that in one form or another book after book, and I don't know why, but I do. And I work with trust in almost every book, and the risks of trust, because it's a risk we all take every day, and there's no avoiding it, and it's endlessly fascinating. How do we make those kinds of decisions? The other thing I work with in my book, inevitably, is I'm usually always dealing with two people, my hero and my heroine, who are in the process of reinventing themselves mm. for whatever reason. Something has gone terribly wrong in their lives, and they're trying to rebuild. So those two issues anchor all of my stories. And that's the, I'm called to write those. That's what compels me. Those are the issues that compel me. And then I build a plot around them one way or another. Well, I know the one that I did last year was basically Lucid Dreams, right? That was the first one yeah. that I did. Yeah, I do a lot. That was that was just that was so good. I do a lot of uh, I use dreams a lot because <laughs> partly I like working with dreams because nobody can prove me wrong. <laughs> Everybody has a theory about dreams. Everybody dreams. Everybody knows they dream, and nobody really totally understands dreaming. They've done a lot of research in it, but nobody has all the answers. And that leaves my territory as a writer wide open. It does. Sometimes you dream that you want to do something to somebody, and then if it comes to you, you begin to wonder how did that happen. And yes. that, that, yes. that's yes. even scarier. You know, sometimes you go to sleep and you say, oh, I'm so mad at this person, and then you dream something about the person, and then they call you the next morning and say it happened. Well, I know I didn't do it, but, you know, maybe something <laughs> happened. That so, would be very unsettling. It is very. So who is a real psychic, and how does the title encompass it all, The Bride Wore White? <laughs> and I never wear white. <laughs> well, the bride no. did wear white, Yeah. and uh, there are several brides in the book. So I figure yeah. that, would, that works. And um, and I think that, that that is a theme... The, the whole marriage thing, the bride thing, is has a long history of being associated with um, basically the question of what the heck am I getting into? It, it carries a question with it in my mind. Not because you wore white to the wedding, but because 
you're making this huge commitment, really usually with very little information <laughs> about what you're doing. Why does everybody feel that white is purity? That's what everybody says. Well, if you were white, you're pure. That doesn't mean anything. I mean, I got married in a no, it color it just to. with orange and purple and all colors of colors. So why, 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 why do people think white is purity? I don't know when that became the thing. What didn't start out that way? It started out that women of wealth could wear a white dress to a wedding mm-hmm. because they would only they could afford to throw it away when it got dirty. Mm-hmm. Other women had to wear. Other women, most women, could not afford a dress for a special occasion. So the white, the, law, the elegant white gown was kind of a way of saying I'm very rich, I'm marrying very wealthy, and I can afford to uh, to wear a white dress that'll probably get stained and I'll probably never be able to wear it again. So it was, a, it was a status. It was a status symbol um, of wealth. I, I know. And I never wore white because if I got dirty, I would have to tell my father. To, I wanted what what things once, and when I came home from school teaching, I put it on my father's chair to, to clean, even if it was perfectly <laughs> yeah. clean. Yeah, he, my father was a dry cleaner. Why not? And you had that option. That was a handy option. Well, actually, I had to work in the store on, on the weekend until I started to teach. I started teaching when I was very young, and. I had that's when I stopped because the parents came into the to the store, but basically, yeah, I, I had to work in the store. I actually I actually learned how to clean and press clothes. It was no fun, and bag them. And yeah, that's that's hard. Yeah, and you learn to be a little bit more careful with your clothes when you know how to how to clean them and, and it's dangerous to spot clothes. You have to be careful <laughs> with that thing. <laughs> yeah, it's the ironing I never mastered. That's a skill I just never, I'm, you know, I'm so glad nowadays you don't, I don't have to do much ironing because I don't no. have, I, I deliberately buy clothes that don't need it. But, uh, but when you see an elegantly pressed shirt mm. or a, a dress, that's a work of art. I mean, that's, that's really a yeah. skill. No, I don't do ironing, but I have a cousin that irons her sheets and pillowcases so they're crisp. Okay, that's and a little bit more than I'm willing to go. <laughs> she's really like, I said, why do you do that? You know, you have them in the laundry, you fold them. No, they have to be perfect. So hers are okay, but her husband doesn't matter. And when her that's family funny. comes, she cleans the sheets and pillowcases, even though they haven't used them. She cleans them and irons them again. I go, I'm glad you're having fun, because that's not me. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, some- some people take so, these things very seriously. Well, this is a book that required research, and the time period is way before I was born. Um, goodness, what was when my, my grandparents came to America. So using your expertise, and how did you create the ending, and what lessons do Prudence and uh, Jack learn about themselves that they didn't know before? Prudence and Jack have arrived at a point where they really realize that, that they are falling in love with each other. Mm. And they come, to that, they come to that by developing a mutual sense of respect and understanding and affection. And they are bonded by the danger that they go through. Danger creates a bond between two people, and it also teaches you real fast who you can trust because essentially their lives are in each other's hands at various points in the book. 
and they literally learn they can trust each other with their life. And well, that, that's a bond. That's a that's a bond that kind of speeds up the whole uh, mm. relationship building thing. So what are they going to do in order? They're going to do something next. I know that, and they decide to open up something next. But do, are they going to stay together? Because you have to bring them back seriously. <laughs> oh yeah, my my couples always have happy endings. They always you can assume they're going to yeah. get married even if you never see them again, and they're going to live happily ever after. Because that's what I do at the end of the book. But my, basically, I'm writing romantic suspense. So there's always a strong murder mystery <clears throat> in the book as well as the relationship and that's that's the genre I write, romantic suspense. Yeah, but when you have a a, a murder, at least it's not gory. I, I read one I'm reading one I read one, the Linda Castillo book is very gory. Extremely gory. Uh, the murders are there's a crossbow that kills this guy in his stomach and in his head. For real. And it's 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 so gory that I said, oh my god! And I didn't. I was trying to say maybe I should cover my eyes and not read this anymore. It's really interesting, and how just I, a simple simple uh, bolt that didn't come through, and they couldn't find it. And when they finally do find it, they find it in the most unbelievable place. It's crazy. So how do you create a murder that's not gory, and yet you know? I mean, that was original to get up in bed and and, and be. And in a bridal gown, and the guy's dead. <laughs> I don't. I like to plot with a murder. I need a. Uh, all my books have a basically a murder or two in them because that's what, part of what I'm writing. But I don't do the gore factor. I don't read it, can't read it, and I don't write it. I just can't. Um, so my people tend to die either off stage, or by poison, or quick shot. You know that kind of <laughs> the quick clean kill. Um, because I don't want to have to write the the serial killer style um, damage. That's all I've been reading. I'll tell you, they were, everybody's writing the same thing. You know, serial killer, um, a crazy person, um, somebody that stalks them. I just finished the, the Linda Castillo book was good, but I felt bad for the chief of police because she kept getting hurt. Even though she had good backup and stuff, every time she told them to stop, it's the police. If uh, she didn't have a uh, deputy there, she would have lost them. For some reason, they just didn't stop. So tell us more about, you know, people go to psychics, they go to doctors, psychiatrists. Tell us more about Dr. Flood. How did you create him? I didn't like him at all. Well, he was one of the many charlatan doctors um, yeah. that was running running around at the time. Claiming to have magic, not you know, basically, uh, I guess you would say paranormal cures or special treatments for um, accessing the truth via dreams. Um, so he's just a, he's just your classic charlatan, but he's got his own agenda. He's got his own reason for targeting Clara Dover. Well, and we know that. that. Yeah. We know we know problem. that. But why don't people? I mean. You go into a doctor. I know that when I go to a doctor, which is I try not to go too often, or anything, I usually look them up. I even look up authors. I don't mean like you were famous authors. Like yesterday, that girl said something. I said, like, wait a minute. How did you find out about me? Now, I know there is such a thing as a yellow book of, of book, book reviewers. I just didn't know I was still on it. 
Because I get, I hesitate because if somebody's going to send me a book, they have to send it to me here because I can't read digital, ever. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. So how do you? I know. That that's a scary part. How do you know that when you meet a doctor or a psychiatrist or anybody, don't people look them up or they just take it at face value? That's even scarier. I know. I think a lot of times you just go up face value, or maybe you don't have a lot of choice. You know, small town, maybe you've got one doctor, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. It it depends on what the options are, I think. And sometimes you just like a doctor because of their great bedside manner. You feel you can communicate. It, it, it's not, it, you know, we talked a lot about trust issues and people making tr- decisions about who they can and can't trust without adequate information, and that's just something we do all the time. Well, some of these people I know from other people, you have to pay them, and, you know, insurance doesn't pay for them at all. You just have yeah. to pay for them, and they and they do overcharge. I mean, even these urgent cares have different – you could go in uh, for a sore throat to pl- number A and go into B, and it's more money, whether you have yeah. the insurance or not. Medical care has gone down greatly, and I mean, and then to get an appointment is like, you know, going through uh, root canal or the FBI or something. You, you just, you just, you just don't know. So, would you ever, ever use an FBI profiler in your book to figure out what's wrong with someone? No, not a real profiler or one pattern on a real profiler, because I simply don't know enough about how they work in mm. real life. I don't, I don't know what the um, the techniques are, and it's not something I want to spend a lot of time researching, because I do prefer to work with the uh, what we what you could call the amateur detectives. You know, the person mm. is caught in a crime mm. that has to solve the crime themselves because nobody really believes them, and that's the reason I use the psychic element a lot because it allows solving the crime without having to use things like DNA or um, you know forensics and uh, autopsies and all that, all the information that comes that way, um, and the reason the reason I do that is because I'm not really interested in writing a police procedural. I yeah. prefer the, I prefer this kind of quote unquote amateur detective approach, um, where you trust a real person, a, a person in, who doesn't have any special skills, into a crime, and they have to solve it. So that just that's just the kind of story I like to tell. I'm trying to think. I think I was the one that I read was Sleep No More that came out last year was one of them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that, well, yeah, that was the first one. And then I was glad when um, your Tina emailed me and said, do you want to read this one? And I go, you don't have to ask me twice. Seriously. <laughs> so, well, thank you. thank you. What is next for you? And when is it coming out and when do I get it? I'm getting bored with these books that I've been getting, seriously. <laughs> well, the next book for me is um, one I've written as under my married name, Jane Ann Krentz, and that's called The Night Island, and mm. that'll be out in January. And it's the, the next book in the trilogy that started with Sleep No More, the one you read last year. And Sleep No More is... And the Night Island are under my Dean and Clint's name uh, because they're set in a contemporary world. And mm. I use 
three names. If anybody out there knows anything about me, know I write under three names, not by intent, but that's how my career ended up. Mm. And I, I reserved the Prince name for the contemporary setting. The Amanda Quick book that we're talking about, The Bride Wore White, I use Amanda Quick for the historical and set in the historical setting. And then, uh, so the next book out will be the next Jane Ann Krentz, which is The Night Island, which is book two in what I'm calling The Lost Child Trilogy. Well, I have to make sure she sends it. <laughs> and that she reminds I'm sure me. She will. I I, I I cry. I can't believe it. Sometimes I go like, I got when I got your thing last year. I go like, whoa, this is great. Then I got Richard North Patterson, and this is the first book he's written in twelve years. And I, yeah, this is I'm getting the first interview, and then Test is in September. She just wrote a new one called Spy Coast with a new character. And it's like this uh-huh. is she was the first person I ever interviewed. I actually emailed her myself and said, would you like to come on my show? I was doing my own thing. And that, I, I'm like, so like, this has been the most fun I've had ever. Seriously. I mean, I had to retire. I retired from teaching because my mom had Alzheimer's. And it was horrible. So yeah. I, I, could, I couldn't sit down and do anything. And she made me read 10 books a week, which I did last week. I actually read 10 books and reviewed them like I'm supposed to. But this this has been fun. Thank you so much. This I mean, I'm going to look up more things about psychic dreams, but it's interesting to know. And lucid dreams, I know everybody has them. It's just that well, you don't know you what. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, everybody. I'm going to send, uh, should I send Tina the link? So I'll send Tina Sounds the good. link for the. Sounds good, yeah. Uh, well, thank you, thank so, you much so much for inviting me. Oh, anytime. My pleasure. I wish you did panels because I could tell you a whole bunch of people that would want to talk about mental health and stuff like that. Well, I have a lot of fun. You do ever do them? Panels? If it's convenient. You know, I'm not going to fly across country to do them or something like that. um, I'm a big fan of Zoom for that purpose. I do them on my show. I don't do them anywhere else. I do them on my show. I just well, have a whole bunch of people, yeah. they call, yeah, they just call in. I don't do them from anywhere because of what's going on in the world. You know, you can't go anywhere. My nephew's graduation was Sunday, and for whatever reason, I couldn't go, and they all got sick. There were 5,000 people at the graduation. Oh, so I, yeah, I, watched it, I watched it on my computer. He graduated summa cum laude, and he got a whole oh. bunch of awards. So my nephew, Jake, is yeah, he's taken after his hand. Very proud. But thank you so thank you so much, everybody. It's a beautiful day. Think positively. Have a great day, and bye.